it is so good to see everyone here this morning. You are defying the bug. And you know, that tells me a lot about you. It really does. It speaks a great deal about you. You, I believe, this group of people actually love each other. And you're here because of one another. And that's impressive. And Craig got the songs wrong. <laughs> Somehow, he, he, he chose all the songs, not about a brother and sister, but he chose all the songs about Jesus. Now, someone has said that you, never, you can never get too much money, you can never have too much fun. But what I'm saying is, you can never have too much Jesus. And so that's what he was singing about this morning, was Jesus. We, uh, it's amazing to me that when a, when a person becomes a Christian, when they surrender their life to Jesus Christ, they become part of something larger than themselves. Really. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says, when you become a Christian, you become part of God's family. So, in Acts chapter 2, and at verse 38, when, when, Paul, when, the, when Peter was preaching the first gospel sermon, he, he said that uh, when, when they asked him a question, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall be added to the saved, or you shall be added to the body. And he said, for the promise, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, for the promise is unto you and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So I kind of got that messed up a little bit. But the point is, he said the promise is unto everyone that is afar off. So when you become a Christian, when you, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, because you've heard the gospel, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, you confess the name of Jesus, you're doing something that hundreds and thousands and millions of other people have done and have become exactly what we're talking about, which is a Christian. And you obey the gospel, you, you're, you're baptized into Jesus Christ, and you rise to walk in newness of life. And at that point, at that point, you are introduced into a relationship with God that is called a family. It's the family of God. Believers become a family. Now, Paul mentioned this morning when he when he was talking, and, and we all have that concept when it comes up. When, when the Bible talks about a brother in Christ, it's also talking about a sister in Christ. So the term brother is a, is a, a term that's used generically to involve all believers. Anyone who's a believer is a brother, a brother in Christ. And the, the term in the Bible for a brother is, is the word uh, Adelphos. And the term for sister is Adelphos. The ending is Omicron Sigma for the brother, and it's Epsilon Sigma for the sister. And then when it talks about brethren, it's the Adelphoi, which is Omicron Iota, the ending of it. So the, these terms are usually used interchangeably, but it's talking about everyone that obeys the Lord and comes into that specific wonderful relationship that's called family. Ephesians 1 at verse 5 says, 
We have been predestinated to the adoption of children. So we are adopted into the body of Jesus Christ. We come into the family of Jesus Christ. And there's one text really, and it probably stands out by itself, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, where Paul is telling Timothy how to treat, how to treat different members of the family. And he says, the elder men, he said, treats them as fathers. And the elder women as mothers. The, the younger men as brothers. And the younger women as sisters. So he actually defines the entire family relationship in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. So now then, we become a family in, in Christ. We're related. And we're related by the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood has washed over all of us. And we have washed our robes in the blood of the Lamb. And we are related. Actually, we're related. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Brethren. It's, it, we're, we're, that term is sometimes used. Now let's look in Galatians chapter 3 and at verse 26. And I'm going to kind of start this out slow. But we're going to get to something in just a, just a little bit. But in Galatians chapter 3 at verse 6, it's for, it says, For you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you as have been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor is there neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus, and if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. Now he uses that term Abraham's seed, and that's very that's a very important term to use and a very very important idea. Now in Ephesians chapter two, I'm going to read another text here. In Ephesians chapter two, and at verse nineteen, it says, "Now, now, uh, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners." But fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You're of the household. He's talking, and when he turns, uses the term household, he's talking about the family. And you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. He's using the term, he's using the term family, and habitation of God, and he's using the term uh, household of God. And there are other texts that, that even expand this a little bit further. Now, here's, the, here's the idea. See if I can get this up. Lots of us, millions upon millions upon millions of believers in this family. God made a promise to Abraham. And think about it just a minute. It's, it's made in chapter 13 of Genesis. In chapter 15. In chapter 13 he says, I'll make your seed, descendants, like the sands of the sea. Wow. That many sand of the sea. In, verse, in chapter 15 he says, count the stars in the heavens. If you can count them, if you can tell them, if you can number them, that's how many your seed will be. Descendants. You, brother and sister in Christ, you're part of that number. Part of that fantastic number. Now there's a statement that sometimes gets beyond us if we're not careful in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 13, where John is seeing a picture of the throne of God and he sees the multitudes whom no man can number who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb 
And he said, those are those who believe in Jesus Christ. Those are believers. So, the multitudes that no man can number, your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ are innumerable. The number is just beyond your imagination in your capacity, capacity to be able to count them. And Ephesians chapter 3 verse 15 says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now think about that just a minute. You have some brothers and sisters in Christ that are called angels. Did you know that? In Revelation chapter 19, John, John was, receiving, was receiving the revelation, verse, verse 10, and here the angel was talking to him, and John bowed down, all of a sudden he bowed down and was going to worship the angel. And this angel said, hey, don't do this, I'm your brother. I'm your brother. So we have brothers in heaven, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Okay, in Acts chapter 3, and when we begin to think about this, all of these people, all the people all over the world, all ages, are related. Somehow, part of your family. You may or may not have been part of a family that had a reunion where you had uncles, cousins, aunts, uh, grandparents, brothers, sisters, all of them together, first and second and third cousins, so forth. They all gathered together and you're all related. Well, that's what this is talking about. We're all related and we're closer than a first cousin. We're brothers and sisters. We're brethren. We're related. Now the family eventually and sometimes needs to be together, doesn't it? Families are together. They get together. And, and then if you read in the book of Acts in chapter 3, when the church first started out, they did get together. They were together quite a bit. As a matter of fact, it says that they were eating their meals together. In chapter 3 of Acts, Let's see, chapter 2, I'm sorry. Chapter 2, verse 43 says, Fear came upon every soul, and wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together, and had all things common. All that believed were together. So some, at some point, just like today, the family needs to get together. We need to be together. And as the church started out in the early times, the church was together. They assembled together. Those who are close enough to be together. Now, Bonnie and I have family that's far flung. When we first got married, you know, we moved over a thousand miles away from home. A couple of kids. A couple of stupid kids, I think, but we were kids. We moved a thousand miles away from family. Well, we're still related. We, we still had family. We're still related, but we, we weren't with them very much, and that really was not good for us. And I'm sure it wasn't good for them. They didn't like that. But even now, in, my, in our personal family, we have children that are scattered abroad now. We, we're not close together. So we don't get together very often. How often do you get together with your family? Some of you travel different, to different states and, and sometimes even to different countries just to be with your family. Well, the family of God to begin with was together. They stayed together. As a matter of fact, they, they had a meal together. Every first day of the week, they came together and had a family meal. The big one. 
They all sat at the same table and they shared what they had with each other. And so, in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Paul, he knew this, this was going on. It says, when he came to Troas, he said, he said, on the first day of the week, when, when the disciples came together to break bread, that meant to eat, came together to have a meal. When they came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them and continued his speech until midnight. <coughs> Young fellow sitting up in the window, remember, fell out of the window? Broke his neck, I guess. You remember what his name was? Eutychus. Okay. Anyway, they brought him up and he and Paul fell upon him and he, he brought him back to life. Then it says Paul broke bread with them. The point I'm making is that the church came together and had a meal. First Corinthians chapter 11 des- describes this. It says, when you come together therefore in the church, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For some of you are drunken and some of you are hungry and so forth. So he, just, he discussed that. The point is that the family got together. They got together. Now that, my friends, brings problems. Doesn't it? That brings, it brings great things, but it also brings some problems. And part of these problems are assuaged by the recommendation that John had made in the text that we read. He says, love your brother. Now, why would you have to be told to love your brother? Why would I have to be told to love my sister or my brother? Why would you have to be told to love your brother? Isn't that just sort of a natural thing that comes along? Well, this, this, is, the, this is the admonition that the writers of the New Testament talked about. It's easy for you, and, and when we look at the brotherhood, and it's called the brotherhood by Peter. He calls it the brotherhood in First Peter 2, verse 17. When you look at the brotherhood, it's kind of easy to love all those folks, isn't it? Easy to love those angels. It's easy to love all those brethren over in a foreign country. We didn't find it easy to love each other during the Civil War and during the early stages of this country because we were prejudiced. Now, you know what? I've always thought that if folks had looked at the text in the New Testament that talked about eating together and the fact that the church came together and ate together, it might have solved a lot of issues concerning racial bigotry. Eating together, sitting at a common table together, recognizing one another, enjoying one another's companionship, and not having a prejudice against one How can you have a prejudice against a member of your own family? And that's what a Christian is, a member of my family, a brother or a sister. Now, my father is God. My brother is Jesus. My brother is you, and my sister is you. And I'm told that I need to love you. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Well, if we sin against a brother, here's the, here's the importance of this issue. A sin against my brother is a sin against Jesus Christ. That kind of jars me. That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12. If you offend your brother, you've offended Jesus Christ. Now that's, that's something that we need to really be careful about is that we do not offend a brother or, or that we do not sin against a brother. 
And John says, and you know, John, in 1 John, this is why I chose this text in 1 John chapter 4, verse 21. Love your brother. reason I chose that is because John, ten times in this little five-chapter book, says, love your brother. Gives you that admonition. Well, John, what's the problem? Isn't it natural to love your brother? Isn't it natural to love your sister? John didn't think. John said, "There's some problems here, and we need to address these." Now, John also said in First John chapter three, at verse eleven, he said that uh, we know we have passed from death unto life if we love our brother. Wow. First thing is, if I sin against my brother or sister, I'm sinning against Jesus. The second is, if I love my brother or sister, I've passed from death to life. That, that's pretty important. And Peter said, love, love the brotherhood. Well, that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Now, let's, let's, uh, let's get a little more specific about it. How, how do I understand that I'm supposed to love my brother? What's my understanding? How, how do I love my brother? I have to recognize, first of all, that God isn't using some sort of an illustration or a commandment that is beyond human reach or understanding. In other words, he's not saying, Bill, you have to be a superhuman person with superhuman ability to love your brother or sister. He's not saying that at all. He's using a common illustration out of ordinary life to tell me that I need to love my brother. So when Jesus used illustrations to teach subjects, he used illustrations that people were familiar with. Not something out of heaven that you didn't know anything about. He didn't, he didn't take the angels and line them up and say, look what happened up here, now here's what you ought to be doing. What, what he said was, if a man goes out and sows a seed, he's using the illustration from farming. The farmer knows what he's talking about. And someone who's planted a garden knows what he's talking about. He's not saying something that's way beyond your reach of your imagination or understanding. He uses, he's using a common illustration. When he, when he says, okay, here's another one. If you're going to build a house, be sure you have a good foundation. Don't build on the sand. Build on the rock. Now that's not a heavenly illustration. That's something that we know something about. We know that a house, if, if it's on sand, it's going to eventually erode and tear up and the foundation is going to crack and the house is going to come down. When he talks about the fishermen, when he, when he told Peter, he said, well, you're going to be, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Well, what do you, he, he said, okay, here's, here's how Peter knew what fishing was all about. So he used the illustration of fishing to tell him about what he was going to do to catch men. And when he talked about weddings and feasts and how you, you invite certain people to feast and weddings, he said, when you, when you have a big feast, don't invite the people that are going to invite you back. Invite someone that can't reciprocate. Well, we understand those illustrations, don't we? That's not tough. That's not hard. That's not something that's hard to understand. He uses business illustrations also. Well, when he talks about the family, he's talking about an illustration that you are familiar with. Really. 
So when he says, love your brother, he's telling you, here's how you do it. Love him just like you love your own fleshly brother or sister. That's simple, isn't it? Okay. How do I love my brother or sister? Well, there's an emotional attachment that I have to that member of my family that I do not have to everybody in this world. Now, Jesus wants me to, to expand my love to include the stranger and even the enemy, but he says, love your brother. And he uses the family illustration to, de to define it. Sometimes it's tough for brothers and sisters to get along, isn't it? But at the same time, you know what? Brothers and sisters, those in the same family, they protect one another, they defend one another, they reach out to one another, they're concerned about one another, they want to make sure that the welfare of the other one is okay, and so there's a bond there. And what is he saying? He's saying, this is how you ought to feel toward your brethren. That's what he's saying. So you're saying, well, how can I love my brother? Well, how do you love your brother now? How do you love the brother and family? We're talking about ordinary families. We're not talking about dysfunctional families. Let's talk about ordinary families. Tolerate your brother. You know, sometimes it's hard for the older sisters to tolerate the little brother. Or the older sisters to tolerate the little sister. They just irritate them to death. And they, they do things that are, that are just embarrassing that it's, it's stuff that goes on that, that in the family that you know that happens, don't you? And that happens in God's family. We irritate each other at times, don't we? Say things we shouldn't be saying. Do things we, well, we say, well, that's, that's silly. They shouldn't act like that. That's the way we are in families. Normal families have squabbling kids. Isn't that correct? Kids fuss. Now the danger is that the fussing continues on until it's irreconcilable. That's the danger in a family. Because sometimes brothers and sisters get to the point where they don't ever talk to one another again in this life. And that's tragic. And so when we talk about brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul found some in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He, says, he said, I, I beseech you that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but you be perfectly joined together in, in mind and spirit. So he's saying, don't squabble. Don't fuss. Don't fight. Don't have problems that separate you. Well, she stuck her tongue out at me. Get over it. Oh, she... My sister wearing my dress. Get over it. You know, we, that's what we tell our kids. Come on. And yet, you know, the same thing if someone outside the boundaries of the family were to attack our brother or sister, we'd stand up in defense of them just like that. And we'd protect them. He hit me. He said, he said a naughty word. And you know... That, that happens in families, and certainly it happens in the family of God. Things will, things will happen. And yet what we're saying is that, that we have to take the same approach. That's what Jesus did. 
He, he gave us the illustration of the family so that we'd understand how we treat one another. Am I going to overlook your picadillos? Sure. Are you going to, are you going to overlook mine? My, my uh, things that don't really matter that much? Are we going to overlook that? Or are we going to highlight it and, and uh, bring, it up, bring it up to a, a point where it actually ruptures the relationship? Well, sometimes families do that, and it, it shouldn't happen that way. James chapter 4, verse 11 says, Speak not evil of one another. Now, how long would a family last if a brother and sister went around telling tales about each other to other people? to other members of the family, to get the family fighting. Well, that's, that's, that's a problem, isn't it? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Warn them that are unruly. So a family member can get out of hand, can't they? Just like in any family, an individual can get out of hand. Someone says, well, the best person to talk to that individual, let's, let's say that we've got a, a sister that's involved in drugs. Who's the best person on earth to talk about that kid, talk to that kid? Probably their brother or sister. Best person on earth to come talk to them and get them to straighten out. Now that's what he's saying here. And in Galatians chapter 6 or verse 1, it says, If any be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be overtaken in a fault. So, it's, it's the responsibility of the brother or sister to kind of help and James chapter 5, verse 19 says, Grudge not one against another. Don't go off with a grudge against another Christian. We're all in the same family. My goodness, we're all in the same family. And our love for one another should be just exactly like the love we have in our own family, with our own brothers and sisters, our own personal physical blood. That's what he's saying. That's, that's the, and yet you still have problems. Certainly we have problems. And we have little minor incidents that come along. But they're not that important to make a rupture. Should never be that important. In uh, Matthew chapter 18, let's say, let's say things just get completely out of hand. Just gets completely out of hand. So somebody sins against me. My responsibility is... And if you sin against me, God said, okay, Bill, here's what you do. You go tell them personally, hey, you hurt me, right? You stole some money from me. You told a lie about me. You, you did something to me that hurt me. So I go and talk to you. That's what Matthew 18 talks about. Go to you, go to him. And if you, if you, if you repent, you've, you've won your brother. But what if they don't repent? What, what if they don't? Well, he says, okay, the next thing you do is you take two or three witnesses. Go get your brothers and sisters. Get, get a little family intervention going. Get your brothers and sisters. You don't have to go to your daddy. Go to your brothers and sisters. And then work it out. He says, if that doesn't work, then what do you do? You take it to the church. You take it to everybody. The whole family gets involved. Now you can get an intervention. Now you can come together and say, hey, you need to get your act together. Isn't that correct? 
That's the course that he takes. Well, it, it seems like that, that should work. It, it, at least we'd think it should work. But if it doesn't work, and sometimes it doesn't work, then we're told that even in family members, that there's such a thing as hating your brother or sister more than you do your own life, I guess. Because if we love Jesus and then things are not going to work out with a brother and sister, we have to step aside. We can't stay with them. We, we have to be separate from them. And there, there is a, a time when we, we cut them off and have to, have to be free from them. And that's too bad. But these things happen. We, uh, we know that in Galatians chapter 5, no, not Galatians, first, Second Thessalonians chapter 5, that the Apostle Paul recommends that those who will not respond to all the uh, efforts, did I say Second Thessalonians 5? I meant 3. 2 Thessalonians 3. Verse 6, it says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walks disorderly, not after the tradition which you receive from us. So there comes a sad time when we have to say, okay, uh, we've, we've, take it to the, we've taken the problem personally. We couldn't resolve it. We asked two or three of our brothers or sisters to come with us and help us get this resolved. They won't do it. So we take the whole church. And Jesus said, let them be unto you as a publican and a sinner. So you have to get, get away from them. That's too bad. Well, the thing I want to tell you is this. When the Bible says, love your brother, he says the same thing we've seen so many times in this picture. You see the little girl holding her little sister? He's not heavy, he's my brother. She's not heavy, she's my sister. That's exactly how we should feel about our brother or sister in Christ. You're not heavy. You're not heavy. I hope I'm not too heavy for you, too. Let's stand and sing a song of invitation.